So Ecclesiastes 7, 1 to 14. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, Why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Morning, everyone. Thanks for reading that, Sam. It's been four weeks. Almost four weeks now since Queen Elizabeth's funeral. Can you believe that? Four weeks ago already. It's estimated that 37.5 million people in the UK alone watched it. And estimates are that around the world, hundreds of millions of people saw the funeral. And I know that many of you, or some of you, sorry, went up and saw the Queen's coffin in Westminster Hall. And some of you went up on the day... Uh, to see the procession go past. I wonder, as we watched it on TV or we watched it in person, what did we make of seeing the Queen's coffin? Uh, I think I've got a picture. Uh, Next slide, please. There you go. There's the picture of the Queen's coffin. So what did you think of the coffin as it went past or you saw it on TV, I wonder if it made you think about your own mortality. Did it make you think about your own death? Well, if you've been following our sermon series on Ecclesiastes, I wonder if when you saw the events on the funeral day, did it make you think about the themes we've been discussing in Ecclesiastes? Did it make you think how short and fleeting our time on earth actually is? That we can watch events that are meaningful on the day, but then they're quickly gone, like a mist, like a vapour. We can't hold on to them. Queen Elizabeth's memory and her legacy is now consigned to the history books. Another life, another place in the family tree has been completed. Another tomb has been sealed. I wonder, when you go to your a funeral, do you look at the coffin and think about the day when your physical body will lie in a wooden box, destined for the earth or cremains to be scattered in the wind? 
Now, this is a really sobering way to start a sermon, isn't it? (laughs) You're still there, that's good. The thing is, if none of these thoughts went through our mind on that day, that's totally understandable, isn't it? Because we live in a culture that tries to do everything it can to cover up death, to shield us from the realities. Maybe when you go to a funeral yourselves, you're that person who can't wait to get out. You can't wait to breathe fresh air again. Because it's scary, isn't it? Talking about life uh, funerals being hidden, the picture behind me, when we saw the Queen's coffin being carried uh, during the days leading up to the funeral, you'll notice it was always covered in the royal standard. We never actually saw the oak coffin itself, did we? Another way that we are shielded from death. What we're going to see this morning in chapter 7, verses 1 to 14, is that the author of the book wants us to view our lives through the lens of our own deaths. He wants us to realise that death is actually a gift of grace and a gift of wisdom. And in this world, there are two paths in which we can take. We can either take the path of wisdom or we can take a path of folly. Now, thinking about how sober this message is, I think this is a good time to pray. It's a good time to pray for us, because there are people in this room right now I know who are going through bereavement, who are going through suffering, who are wrestling with these topics. So let's pray together. Father, as we come into your presence this morning, we want to learn from your word, because it has the power to change and give us a new perspective on our lives. Father, we want to acknowledge our weaknesses and our frailty before you this morning. We thank you that you are our God, our Father and the one who cares more deeply about us than anyone else in this world. Please help us to know you more deeply as a result of what we hear this morning. Please help us to care for each other in and after the service today, especially for those who are suffering with new or long-term bereavements. Father, we ask this for your glory and through your son's name. Amen. So as we look through our passage this morning, my first point I want to make or observation is living with the end in view. Living with the end in view. As we've been reading through Ecclesiastes each week, we've seen that the world in which we exist is completely out of our control. It is crooked Life is not easy for any of us. We all suffer. We realise we cannot explain everything. And one day, the people we love will become ill and die. And we don't want to face it. We realise, from looking at this book, that in this life, there will always be justice and oppression. And we realise that ultimate and lasting satisfaction cannot be found in the things of this world. When I think about life being out of control, you only have to look at the news to see where this is happening. Bill mentioned in his prayers a couple of weeks ago where I was in Weatherspoons in New Malden having breakfast with my home group. And as they went up to order, I did what everyone does, get your phone out, check the news. And I saw breaking news, 37 children in Thailand and a number of adults had been knifed to death in a nursery. 37. Just like that, lives lost. I mean, that incident is horrific beyond words, isn't it? Absolutely horrific. 
But strangely enough, we're not shocked by that because that sort of thing is going on every day in our world. It made me think of another uh, illustration of out of control. It's a true story. A few years ago, I was a teacher in Woking, and uh, one of my friends uh, had become a teacher in her, in her 60s. And she had five years left to retirement, uh, and she had planned her retirement to coincide with her, uh, her husband's retirement. They were looking forward to spending time with their grandchildren, serving in their local church. And suddenly, her husband got a diagnosis of terminal cancer an aggressive form of cancer, and he died within three months. A wife and a family left devastated by pain. Life is out of our control, isn't it? We don't know why these things happen, or in fact when the next tragedy will occur, but we do know from the Bible that we have a God who is in control and who is good. Nothing happens without his purposes. In chapter 3, verse 11 of Ecclesiastes, we read these words. He, that is God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God has a plan for everyone, and everything he has made is beautiful in the time that he has made it. Yet we cannot understand why things happen as they do, because we are not God. As I look around this room this morning, it is sobering to think that everyone in this room, online, in Worcester Park, in our world, will one day face their own death. That is an inescapable reality. And how does that make us feel? What does it make us think about? Whether we have a long life, a short life, we're old in age or we're young in age, we cannot escape And so it's even more meaningful when we think about these two paths that the author is giving us this morning, the path of wisdom and the path of folly. So as we look at these verses, what wisdom does the author give us? Well, if you have a look at the first six verses in your Bible, he says these words. Verse 1, a good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. It is better to go to, verse 2, it's better to go to a funeral than a party. That's an odd thing to say, we'll come back to that. Verse 3, a sad face is good for the heart. And verse 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. And he says this is wisdom, it's interesting, isn't it? Well, let's have a look at each one of those uh, in turn. Uh, Verse 1. The author invites us to think about our own characters. A good name is better than fine perfume. A couple of years ago, again, when I was a teacher, I took a funeral at Woken Crematorium. This is the picture behind me. And as the coffin was placed uh, just in front of those gold doors, I put my hand on the coffin and I was able to talk through tears uh, about my friend, about... Uh, her name was Sue, about her character and about the way she lived. I wonder if you've ever thought what people will say about you at your funeral. What will people say about me? I thought about it and I wrote these words. (laughs) Here lies the mortal remains of Adam Jakes. Died 30th of July, 2042, aged 50 years old. 
I wonder if someone will say, Adam loved Jesus and lived to serve others. Or will they say he strived to have the best in his career and enjoy as many comforts as money could buy? I hope they won't say that, and I hope they won't play that classic song, I Did It My Way. <laughs> Therefore, the author is telling us a good name, or, a still, or better still, a good character, shows which path we walk down in this life. The author says that a good name is better than any expensive, model-aspiring perfume that the world has to offer. You've all seen the adverts. Two, he says that it's better to go to a funeral than a party. Imagine saying that to your friends on Friday night. Can't make the party tonight, I'm going to a funeral. Oh, sorry, you can't get out of that one. No, no, I want to. I want to go to that funeral. Now, I'm not surprised if some of you are laughing or shocked by this, because it's so countercultural and it sounds so disappointing. Why is it better to go to a funeral? In our culture, our culture tells us that happiness comes through good times, having a laugh. Being at a funeral is sad. But it does remind us about the brevity of our lives. I was just thinking, if that image is disturbing you, this is a good time to change, thanks. Being at a funeral prompts us to stop in our tracks, to think about what is important, our family and our loved ones, what we'd spend our time on, and the author wants us to think about these things. In fact, the person who thinks about their own death is actually... Uh, the person of wisdom. You don't hear that anywhere, do you? It's through our experiences with mourning and death that we really appreciate life. We can see the joy of life and we can engage with it with a depth in our soul and a depth of character that you won't get anywhere else. I want to be sensitive. Many people in this room (coughs) will have experienced the death of a friend or a loved one and that brings anguish and pain. But I wonder if you can also say through that death that that death has changed you and you're no longer the person you were before. You no longer worry and stress over the same things you once did. You have a better perspective on life. You've got nothing to lose and maybe it actually gives you more confidence in this life. Once we have a right view of our deaths, we can move on to the author's next point, point two, facing up to reality. In 2008, I was in Malaysia uh, at my grandfather's funeral. Uh, My grandfather's Chinese. Uh, I'll tell you more about that later. But anyway, uh, I went to his funeral, and I was really shocked by their uh, funeral customs. In Malaysia, it's the family's responsibility to push the coffin into the uh, crematorium uh, chamber. It's the family's responsibility to ignite the chamber. And after the funeral, it's the family's responsibility to use chopsticks to pick out pieces of bone and put them in the family urn. You just don't see that in this country, do you? That's a good thing. I don't know. No. Actually, I think many countries have uh, a more uh, realistic view of death than we do. In many countries, which you will know, death is part of people's lives. And so it's a lot... It gives you a better perspective, I think. David Gibson, a Scottish preacher that some of you will know by now from his book, Living Life Backwards, says that the alternative to living a life in view of your own death is to live a life of eating, laughing, drinking and partying to excess. 
Now, you'll know from the book of Ecclesiastes that it's right and true that God has given us the command to eat, drink, and enjoy satisfaction in our daily work. This is actually what we're called to do. That is a blessing. But we are, not, but we are also being warned in verses 4 to 6, if you read, not to do these things in excess, because if we do that, they uh, change our hearts into wanting to escape from death, escape from reality. Verse 4 says, The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Pastor and author Tim Keller says that our hearts are ultimately idle factories. They continually draw us away from God's good intention for our lives. They draw us into sinful habits and patterns, all seeking never-ending pleasure to escape, to escape and uh, uh, distort the reality of what God wants for our lives. I wonder if you can think of a challenging time in your life, how you respond. What do you turn to? For everyone who preaches a sermon, the text really does a work on our hearts before we stand here. And this week, I was really challenged by this. What do I turn to when I'm facing reality or I want to escape from reality? What do I turn to to waste time? Unfortunately, there's plenty of things. So often when things feel out of control, we can easily lose our patience and get angry at life, bitter at God. The author says that this is not the path of wisdom. This is the path of folly. Wisdom, on the other hand, weighs up the choices and pauses before making the right decision. Wisdom doesn't look back on the good old days with nostalgia and think everything was so much better then. Before this happened, before that change happened in my life, things were so much easier. Well, the author is telling us that this is going down the path of folly. There is a danger here that we'll deny God is at work with us today. He's blessing us today, not just in the past. But there's a big fight going on because all around us, we see lots of people trying to escape from realities of life. Our culture is built to draw us away from the reality of God. Money, sex, beauty and possessions, all good gifts from God have been distorted by our sinful hearts. It's almost like turning up the music to drown out the noise of reality. So let me challenge you or ask you again, where does your mind go when you're trying to escape the realities of life? Where might you have formed foolish habits in your pursuit of satisfaction and pleasure? I think before I've shared this in my home group, that before I was a Christian, I used to think God was boring and restrictive. But now my eyes have been opened by his spirit. I can see that God actually puts a hedge around us to keep us safe. As our creator, of course, he knows what's best for us. He knows what we can handle in life and what we can't. He knows what we will struggle with. And he promises never to leave us on our own. And yet still, my sinful heart pushes through the boundaries, pushes through the hedges, because I want to be in control ultimately. And I look back on my uh, choices in my life and I really regret some of them and I wish I hadn't gone through those hedges. But pleasure distorts. It leads us away from reality. And it can soon become a problem. Addiction, 
binging, compulsive consumption, actually becomes risky and harmful and has long-term chronic effects on our health, physically and mentally. And so often it's hard to pin down the point where pleasure becomes a problem, isn't it? That glass of wine quickly becomes a bottle each night. One of the ways I escape from my uh, responsibilities, confession time, is to play PC games. I can quite easily play a PC game for a few hours to escape what I need to do. Now, young people, (laughs) especially this afternoon, I imagine, will say to me, well, PC games are all right, aren't they? That's a good thing. It's good to relax. It's good to take time out. That is true. Lots of these things are given to us by God uh, as a blessing. Internet, sports, social media. There's lots of blessings, but there's also lots of curses when we distort them and we take them out of reality. This is the difference between wisdom and folly. If we want an example of someone who's chased after pleasure uh, to uh, find out about the meaning of life, do you remember back in chapter 2, the author said these words, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labour, and this was the reward for all my toil. When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. You see, the author knows that chasing after pleasure, what chasing after pleasure is like. He's been there, he's done that, he's worn the T-shirt. Are we going to listen to him? The Bible actually says that we should face the hardships of life, the realities, head on and not avoid them. And this is the very act that actually frees us up to enjoy the blessings of this life. So let me summarise this point here, facing up to reality. There are two paths to face, two paths to choose from. The path of wisdom, viewing our lives in light of our deaths, to be patient and wait on God's timings, to avoid anger, bitterness and resentment, or the path of folly, to be proud in spirit, think we know best and know and control how things will work out for us. Let anger lodge in our heart and be bitter about everything that happens. Reminisce about the good old days and forget the blessings of today. Seek maximum roots of pleasure to kill out those realities of life. Sobering words. There's so much more you could say on this. But my third point, I've titled this Into the Father's Arms. Into the Father's Arms. As we step back from our verses today and we take a helicopter view of what the author is saying, it's pretty obvious that we cannot control anything that happens in our lives. It helps us to see that we are naked, weak and vulnerable before an almighty God. Once we see this, once we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, and it is difficult, it actually sets us free. Free to have joy in this life and the life beyond. In the book of Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says this. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Because of the trust Jesus had in his father God, he endured death 
on the cross for us. The shame of the cross is that sin, our hearts that try and distort reality. Jesus knew all the fullness of joy that was to come after his death. I mean, those words are incredible, aren't they? You won't see that anywhere else. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Can you imagine saying that about us? For the joy set before us, we endured our deaths. I mean, the strange thing is, as a Christian, that's reality. We have got a life to come where we will be with God, united forever, with him and his people. So if Jesus entrusts himself into God's arms, in this crooked life, in this life of struggles, then we can know that we have Jesus with us now as well. We can also live with joy in our hearts and joy in the sorrows of this life. With the blessings that God has given us today. As we leave this hall today, we all will enjoy God's blessings in one way or another. Maybe that's spending time with family. Maybe it's seeing friends over lunch. Maybe it's doing something you enjoy this afternoon. Those are all blessings given to us by our Father God to enjoy. In this passage from Hebrews, we see that Jesus fully gave himself to God. He fully entrusted himself to God. He had utter dependence on his Father. And I wonder in your life if you can remember a time when you had utter dependence on God, when you allowed yourself to be vulnerable in the Father's arms. Now, over the years, as we go through life and we hit life's struggles, they trip us up, uh, they get us down. And sometimes our hearts get hardened and we forget about this vulnerability we can have in front of God. As I was preparing this sermon, Lorna and I chatted about a time in our life when we felt vulnerable before God. And so I just want to share that very briefly. That Lorna and I uh, went through a very long adoption process for our son. And during that time, it was up, it was down. We didn't know what was going on. We were, it, it was out of our control, completely out of our control. And we felt completely exposed and completely vulnerable. And yet, you see today... <laughs> that it all worked out. We didn't know what was coming, but we trusted God in those moments, on our knees in prayer, and things worked out. Now, I'm not saying that things always work out, okay? This is not a false guarantee. But when we are vulnerable with God, and we open ourselves up, and we allow him to take us in his arms, then he will bless us. He will never leave us. We can have joy in this life, and joy in the life to come. There's so much more to say, but we're going to stop there and let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that uh, in this chapter of Ecclesiastes, we see clearly that we are not in control of our lives. That control and purpose belongs to you because you are God Almighty. You are the giver of life. You are our creator. You are our Father who loves us completely. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for uh, having him here with us now, showing us the joy of this life and the joy of the life to come. Please help us, Father, not to shy away from our responsibilities, not to shy away from the reality of life, but to embrace it and to trust you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.